Hi, I'm Kelly Cervantes, and this is Seizing Life, a bi-weekly podcast produced by Cure Epilepsy. Today, I'm happy to welcome Anita Meeks to the podcast. Anita was recently diagnosed with epilepsy at the age of 50 following a tonic-clonic seizure. Prior to that seizure, Anita had no idea that she suffered from epilepsy, but once diagnosed, she began to understand previous experiences that she now believes were seizures. Suddenly faced with epilepsy and the challenges that come with it, Anita found herself dealing with the side effects of medication, searching for a neurologist, trying to learn as much as she could about epilepsy, and recalibrating her lifestyle to better manage her seizures. She's here today to tell her story share her experiences as a newly diagnosed patient, and offer advice on self-advocating for patients and caregivers. Anita, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with us today. We really appreciate you being here. Uh, So I understand that you were actually only diagnosed with epilepsy recently after you had a uh, a tonic-clonic, formerly known as a grand mal seizure. Can you Tell us about that seizure and and coming to your diagnosis. Sure. Um, thank you for having me. So Labor Day weekend, um, it was a Friday evening. I was asleep, but in the middle of the night, I'm not actually sure exactly what time it was. But at some point, I'm thinking maybe early mornings, three, four, five o'clock, um, I had felt this tingling sensation in my legs. And I'm thinking I'm just dehydrated, I'm tired, I hadn't been sleeping well. And so um, I didn't really think anything about it. And then I had went to go stretch. So I just tried to stretch my body out a little bit. And when I went to stretch, all of a sudden there was this um, sharp pain that I felt. And it started at my feet, went all the way up to um, my head. And all of a sudden I felt myself... um, make a weird noise like a moan or I you know just really something came out of me that was uncontrollable this this noise and I had um bounced off on the bed a couple times um I remember that and uh after that I was out um and don't remember anything from that point on until the next morning around 10 o'clock my son was waking me up we had had plans to go to the beach that weekend wow so when you woke up what did you think had happened well i was kind of in a daze like i wasn't fully awake i was tired confused i i didn't feel right i felt um just kind of out of sorts. I felt weird. And uh, my girlfriend had just happened to call me and um, I told her, I said, I'm not sure, but I think I may have had a seizure last night, but I don't remember. I don't know if it was a dream. I'm not. And she goes, well, why do you feel that way? And I explained to her what I had just explained to you. And she's like, oh my gosh, you definitely had a seizure. You need to call your doctor. So I called uh, my doctor right away and they're like, you need to go to the hospital. So she had thought maybe I had had a uh, stroke. And so she wasn't real sure. So my girlfriend picked me up immediately, took me to the hospital. Um, They did all kinds of testing. Again, I still wasn't 100%. I was a little bit off, but I wasn't um, I don't think anybody would have noticed it as much as I would have. So after several tests, 
they sent me home. They didn't really give me a diagnosis. Um, they just told me to see the neurologist uh, first thing after the holiday. What happened when you saw that neurologist? I didn't see the neurologist right away. I had an EEG first thing Tuesday morning, and within an hour, maybe an hour and a half, um, the neurologist called me right away, which I thought was strange because, I mean, I'm like, how many doctors call you that quickly after a testing unless something is completely wrong? And uh, the first thing he had said to me was, um, I have a question for you. Those were his first words to me. He goes, were you... Um, as a child, did you ever get in trouble for daydreaming or dazing off and not paying attention in class? And I said, no. And I started becoming annoyed. I'm like, I, I don't understand this question. This isn't making sense to me. What does this mean? He goes, well, my dear, you have epilepsy. And I'm like, what epilepsy? And, and he's like, not only do you have epilepsy, you've had it your entire life. And I'm like, well, wait a minute. How can I be 50 years old and just now clinically being diagnosed? diagnosed with epilepsy. This doesn't make sense to me. I can't even imagine the shock that you must have felt receiving this diagnosis. Did you have any previous knowledge? Did you know anyone with epilepsy? Did you know anything about seizures or anything of the sort? No clue. None whatsoever. In fact, I don't even think I knew what epilepsy was. When I first got off the phone with him, I pulled over in a parking lot because I was just so terrified and I cried. And I didn't know really what it meant. And I didn't even know what I felt. Like, it was so scary. I'm like, is this, how is this going to affect me as a single mom, as an individual who's been independent? How is this now going to affect my future? And what does this mean for me? So um, I kind of froze in time. Hi, this is Brandon from Cure Epilepsy. An estimated 3.4 million Americans and 65 million people worldwide currently live with epilepsy. For more than 20 years, Cure Epilepsy has funded cutting-edge, patient-focused research. Learn what you can do to support epilepsy research by going to cureepilepsy.org. Now back to Seizing Life. You're, you're getting through the initial shock. You get to that very first neurologist appointment, and what information does he share with you about epilepsy, about your diagnosis and how he plans on treating it or she? So interesting enough, nothing. <laughs> it was like, here you go. Here's some medication. I want to see you back in three months. So it breaks my heart to hear that because I, it, unfortunately, I think we hear that all too often from patients and it's just, it's, um, it's gut-wrenching. So he doesn't give you much information about epilepsy. Um, what does, what does he tell you? What does he give you? Well, he, he doesn't give me much. So he says, okay, so here's your medication. Um, I and gave me the dosage, which I didn't know at the time was a high dosage. Um, and I guess he wanted to prevent it from happening and again and again and again. Um, so the conversation was very short and sweet. There was no education. There was no background on it. Um, I went home, just took the medication as if it was an antibiotic, as if I was sick and I'm going to feel magically better, right, um, was my mindset. And so when I took the medication, I just was so lethargic. I couldn't get off the couch. I was exhausted. I had you know, I didn't care about my responsibilities. I just 
didn't care about anything. I just was so spaced out. And then I called my doctor about a week, the same neurologist. And I said, look, this isn't working for me. Like I can't live my life like this. This is not the life I'm willing to give into. I'm just not. And he tried to convince me that your body needs to adjust. And I'm like, well, that's still not good enough for me. And so he didn't advise this. I kind of took matter into my own hands and I was willing to take a risk. I started lessening my dosage little by little. And when I first started doing it, um, I started to feel better. Like I didn't go completely without my medication because I knew how important some of it was, but I just felt like I was drugged out, like, and I didn't like that feeling. So I started off with 500 milligrams less, and I started to feel just a tad bit better. Um, so I thought, all right, I'm just going to go a little bit less. And so I did. And then during that interim of me starting to feel better mentally and physically, I still was not 100%. I still didn't have the energy that I typically would. But I had just enough clarity mentally that I started eating, drinking, and sleeping epilepsy. Um, researching, which led to another thing, which led to another. Like It became a full-time job for me um, because I knew the life that I did not want to live, and I wasn't going to allow this to define my future. Right. Now, I mean... I have to uh, preface here by saying we never recommend that anyone um, I know. titrate their meds on their own. That said, um, you know, did, did the doctor ever tell you that there were other medication options that no. were out there that you could try? So there's just a, a serious lack of information here coming from, from this doctor. I'm assuming that SUDEP was never mentioned. No. And I had actually um, learned about SUDEP on my own. Um, because I was prone to nighttime seizures. I came across that. I'm like, oh my gosh, this fits me to a T. And and I want to back you up. I want to backtrack just for a second. I don't want anyone to think that I'm encouraging them to take less medication than what is advised. That is not what I want. I think if anything, I just want people to not give in or give up and to become their own self-advocate and how whatever that means and, and researching other doctors or other opinions. So, um, no, there was no um, education of other options. Um, when I, I started playing around with some, because I knew the side effects could be um, not so good. Um, and so I started on my own researching and figuring out what I could do to offset the side effects of the Keppra, which is what I'm on. And so um, I bombed a few of them. Like, um, I did try, um, medical marijuana for a lot of people that works great for me. I had an adverse effect. Um, and then, so the pharmacist recommended something else. I tried that again, I had an adverse effect. So I wiped that out of that, of even being an option. So then I started taking more of a holistic approach, um, to help offset so I could have the energy and start, to try to live the best life that I can and be as normal um, as what I was accustomed to living. And so I, by, so then I also at the same time was researching a neurologist that specializes in epilepsy. And by the time that I got to her, I had already figured out what was working for me because it was a couple months out before I could even get in front of her. I'm curious, uh, 
as you're, you know, eating, drinking, breathing epilepsy, are you seeing any symptoms or any signs in your research that perhaps you had experienced in the past and attributed to something else? Absolutely. So that's a great question. Um, After my diagnosis and during my research, I had a lot of aha moments. Um, I had several drop attacks where I had just, my legs had given out on me and I just fell to the ground. Um, And then when I was much younger at 21, um, I had an episode that sent me to the hospital where they thought I had had, they diagnosed me as having a minor stroke. Um, But the bottom line is without a shadow of a doubt, I don't believe that that's what I had. I do believe I had a drop attack at that same time. Um, So I've had a lot of, uh, I shouldn't say a lot. I've had probably about five or six drop attacks um, that I can recall uh, over my lifetime span that I would just brush off as being tired, stressed, you know, making excuses and not listening and really paying attention to to, uh, some symptoms. So I'm thrilled to hear that you, through your research as well, uh, as educating yourself, you found your way to a new neurologist, because I really do think with a condition like epilepsy, where so little is understood, where um, it can be so intricate and different from person to person that you really do need multiple minds, you know, working to find that. So I I applaud you on, on going out and finding that new neurologist. And what was that experience like with the new neurologist? It was great. Um, so I, you know, I, I, I want to support you in what you had just said, because what I have learned through this whole process is just because you have a title doesn't make you an expert. And so when I had found, um, an epileptic doctor, she was fabulous. And there, she, she was confirming everything and supporting me and all the research that I had already figured out on my own. And that's sad that I had to do that all on my own. And that's why I want to give hope to other individuals. Just because somebody says something, it doesn't mean that it's factual. If you have five people saying the same thing verbatim and they don't know each other, then maybe we can consider that that that's the reality. But if you put yourself in front of five doctors and you get five different results and, and thoughts and debates and and answers, then then you have to really just keep digging and find out what works for you. Because as I follow these support groups, everyone's trying to follow the same path of, as to what's working for one person where you can't because our bodies are all so different. Our chemistries are so different. And I just want to give people hope that not to give up and just assume one neurologist is the only neurologist because they're not all specialties in in epilepsy. Well, and so I think you've hit on so many points and I kind of want to pick a couple of them out and highlight them for our listeners. And one is that all epileptologists are neurologists, but not all neurologists are epileptologists. So just because you are seeing a neurologist, that doesn't mean that that is someone who specializes in epilepsy and really finding that neurologist that is a specialist in epilepsy can make all the difference in the world. How did you know that your neurologist was the right one for you? When I met her, you don't know somebody. It's like a relationship, right? Until you meet them and you have a face-to-face conversation and you start sharing 
intimate moments and how they react and their thoughts. That's really, it's no different. So I took a risk. She had a title of being a specialist in the epileptic community. Um, she was a medical director. She seemed like she was a strong advocate for epilepsy. So I'm going into this relationship with knowing or feeling that she's going to be a great um, fit for me. And she just happened to be. So you really don't know until you meet with them and you talk with them. It's no different than having a relationship with somebody. I've not thought of it in that way, but I think that that is just such a brilliant way to think about it. You are in a medical relationship with them, but there are certain aspects of it, trust and um, communication that are just as important as what you would find in a romantic relationship and sort of you know, making sure that you keep the same standards that you would um, are just as important. And I, I appreciate that analogy. You mentioned earlier your um, your triggers and different things that you found. What what did you find for you that were some of your triggers? So I had created a perfect storm, really, is what I had done. I was going through a horrific divorce, and then I had lost a lot of money in, in my business and ended up having to go back to corporate America. And then I started a new relationship that was not um, probably the best for me. And so it was just so much and it was just building and building and building. And it was getting more and more stressful. And I was binge drinking on the weekends to try to forget about all the stress that I was incurring. And so it just got worse and worse and worse. And it was just the perfect storm that was about to, to end. So um, that's what created the grand mal seizures. So those were my biggest biggest triggers was not only the stress, the insomnia, I was only sleeping maybe four hours a night, every couple of days, you know, I wasn't sleeping well, binge drinking, just anything and everything I could do wrong, I was doing. And I was heightening my epilepsy that I didn't even know I had. Mm -hmm. So it was just a matter of when it was going to all explode. You have decided to be very public about your epilepsy and your journey. And um, I've, I've said it before on this program, I've said it in public. I have always felt for my own personal advocacy that I felt a duty to do so because my daughter was disabled. And so it, she wasn't at risk. It wasn't going to affect her professional life. It wasn't going to affect her relationships for her to be public and open about this. But there are so many people grown otherwise healthy adults who this could potentially, um, there is stigma, there is discrimination, there is misunderstanding. And so I, I do want to acknowledge your bravery for being outspoken about it because that's, that's no small task. Why? Oh my gosh. There's so many reasons as to my why at this point. You hear a lot about caretakers and loved ones being the advocates, right? So unfortunately, after you lose somebody, it becomes a passion because you don't want people to go through the pain that you've gone through. Because I suffer from epilepsy, I don't want others to feel what I've gone through. And I feel their pain. I feel the discriminatory. I feel the judgment. And that's the reason why I'm so passionate about speaking on behalf of epilepsy. I look at this as a blessing because I still have a voice. I still have the energy and the passion of, of helping others and bringing awareness for that exact reason, because of everything that I went through and how much 
work I had to do on my own, I don't want people to go through what I went through. I don't want them to give up. And I don't want them to assume that because one neurologist says something that that has to be the way it's going to be the rest of your life. You have to be willing to put yourself out there. I'm not ashamed of having epilepsy. And, um, you know, I, I just, the thought of other people feeling my pain hurts me because I know how it felt. I, I totally understand the humiliation, the embarrassment, um, the shame that you feel internally. Your ownership, your, um, your empowerment is, is truly inspirational. And I have no doubt in the world that you have already touched so many people and will continue to do so uh, to bring them hope and to let them know that they don't need to be ashamed. And I'm just so, so grateful for your voice. Um, I, I think the patient voice is just so incredibly important. So thank you for sharing your story with us. So appreciate your time. Um, and uh, I look forward to seeing you on the advocacy trail in the future once, uh, once this pandemic is over. Thank you. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you, Anita, for sharing your story and experience. Unfortunately, Anita's experience is far too common for those who suddenly find themselves diagnosed with epilepsy. One in 26 Americans will be diagnosed with epilepsy in their lifetime. Currently, 3.4 million Americans and 65 million people worldwide suffer from epilepsy. Despite these numbers, epilepsy research remains drastically underfunded. Cure Epilepsy is dedicated to funding patient-focused research that will lead us to new therapies and cures for the millions of people currently suffering from epilepsy. We hope that you will support our mission to end epilepsy by visiting cureepilepsy.org forward slash donate. Your kindness and generosity is greatly appreciated. Thank you. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of CURE. The information contained herein is provided for general information only and does not offer medical advice or recommendations. Individuals should not rely on this information as a substitute for consultations with qualified healthcare professionals who are familiar with individual medical conditions and needs. CURE strongly recommends that care and treatment decisions related to epilepsy and any other medical condition be made in consultation with a patient's physician or other qualified healthcare professionals who are familiar with the individual's specific health situation.